electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in Fast, Amazon's big beat, the e-commerce giant popping after hours, beating on cloud and advertising estimates. We'll go inside the numbers coming up. Plus, rally on the street, the major averages surging with Meta leading the Nasdaq to a nearly 2.5% gain. Are these tech gains breaking the backs of the bears? Plus, a weighty move. Shares of Eli Lilly popping on new data about their weight loss drug, Monjaro. The CEO says this will be a blockbuster drug. Will the stock be one, too? And later, Intel posts its largest quarterly loss in company history. Snap plunges on a Q1 revenue miss, and Pinterest shares drop despite a top and bottom line beat. CEO Bill Reddy will join us later on the hour. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Bono and Eisen, and Jeff Mills. And we start off with an earnings alert on Amazon. The tech titan surging after its Q1 results. The e-commerce giant's cloud and ad revenue helping it beat top-line estimates. The stock currently trading at levels not seen since October. Deidre Bosa has got the very latest on this quarter. Devo. So, Melissa, let's call this part relief rally, part growth rally, because 9% top line growth is pretty good in this environment. And also this better than feared theme, it continues amidst the mega caps with Amazon easing some worries about deceleration in the cloud and e-commerce momentum. Now, online store sales, they were flat year over year, but it did beat expectations for the first time in eight quarters, perhaps signaling that all that extra capacity that was built up during the pandemic is finally starting to get streamlined and more efficient, a process that Andy Jassy called regionalization in his annual letter. Now, Amazon's true growth engine, AWS, its cloud business, that continues to decelerate, but again, it was better than feared. I just spoke to the CFO, Brian Osalski, and I asked him if that deceleration has bottomed out or he's seen, he's seen stabilization. He said that he's not sure how the next few months will play out, but that new business is coming in. And he says it's the macro, not the competition, that is weighing and leading to that deceleration. Now, CEO Andy Jassy calling the economy uncertain in the earnings release and that wide operating income guide range reflecting that it's between two and $5.5 billion. But investors, they will take uncertain, especially if it's at least profitable. And like I said, Melissa, 9% top line growth. I mean, that's not bad in this market among the mega caps. Nope, it's not. Deidre, thank you. Keep us posted. Uh, Deidre Bosa with the very latest on Amazon. We're getting some more comments here from the Amazon CFO. No shift in the competitive balance among cloud players. Still seeing a step down in discretionary spend in cloud. So some interesting commentary coming out still about the growth engine. Yeah, and I think the main point there as far as AWS is they still have a third uh, of the market share there, right? So their their growth has decelerated to nearly 16%. If you look at what uh, Microsoft and what Google Cloud were able to pull up, it was like 27% year over growth. So they're, they're gaining some share. And I do think it's important to note that, like, listen, they beat on everything. I mean, like, this was across the board. Now, maybe expectations came down enough over the course of the last four months or so, but it's a really good quarter. And if you think of it on a relative basis, um, it has really underperformed many of these mega cap peers that have also put up some big numbers here. So, um, I, you know, listen, there's nothing to shake a stick at here, people. It's a pretty good uh, report. I mean, the, the move in the after is extraordinary if you consider the move that it made 
in the regular session today, Bonoway. Absolutely. And then if you look at the year-to-date move, it's been up 30%. And I, I think of the mega cap names, this was likely the one that we were all pointing to and saying, if there's probably cracks in the armor, it's probably going to play itself off with this one, particularly given their exposure to the consumer here. But as Dan said, 15 16% in terms of uh, AWS growth is still, you know, nothing to kind of shake your head at. We were really concerned that this was going to be somewhat of a apocalyptic type of fall off, and particularly given all of the inflows that we had seen to this particular concentration or concentrated cohort within the NASDAQ. And for them to be able to deliver alongside their other counterparts just kind of, uh, you know, reinforces the margin of safety that these names do offer, particularly within an uncertain uh, outlook. North America customers looking for value, putting off some discretionary purchases as we get some more commentary here from the company. Yeah, actually, I thought the retail part of the business wasn't bad, right? We're not even thinking about it or talking about it, but it is a gigantic business with very slim margins, although they did have a little bit better margin beat here. And it really has been weighing on the company a lot. They don't seem to care what margins they put up in the short term. Everything seems to be in the short term for them. But that's a lot of operating leverage that they have the potential to you know, they have a bunch of levers there. They built up way too big during the pandemic. Do you remember when they were actually selling some of the space for warehouses they had bought? And so you have now not just the cloud engine, which was in some, at some points in time, more than 100% seeming of the value of the whole thing. But now you remember have old Amazon, which also has potentially a lot of value and a very impressive performance. It was up on this potential news today already. Right. So the bar was higher in the last 24 hours. And yet, they stepped over it by a wide margin. Jeff Mills, you are killing it. You're killing it because you got Amazon in your acronym. It's the A in fame. You've got Meta. Um, did you think that we'd see these outside moves? I mean, the expectations were so lowered, yes, but we were still sort of expecting that sort of cautious commentary from enterprise. We haven't gotten that cautious commentary about advertising. There's still, Amazon is saying for its part tonight that advertising is still growing here. Um, we just haven't gotten sort of these worst case scenarios. No, listen, hey, I, I'm not complaining, but we talked about this last week and I was a little bit concerned that maybe these stocks had run too much into earnings and we might see a little bit of a give, give back. But in terms of you know, why I have a name like Amazon, why I have a name like Meta you know, in my fame trade, I, I've talked about this a number of times, but for Amazon specifically, it was all about this profitability disappointment last year. Karen said it, you know, huge spending in CapEx in reaction to the demand during COVID. Uh, that was sort of difficult to manage around. But my view coming into the year was that this focus was going to have to shift. And it has. You need to see gross margin expansion. I thought you probably would. And now you have AWS, you have Prime, you have advertising. That represents 55% of revenues. It was 52% last quarter. So top line up 9%, cost of sales up 2%. That's exactly what we wanted to see here. Uh, Dan said it sort of beat across the board. So uh, there's a lot to like. I think maybe the only thing you have to think about at this point is uh, the valuation. I think it's trading at over 40 times, you know, a lot of the peers that it gets lumped in with trading quite a bit lower. So the question is, what happens on the cost front and what can they do on the growth side to justify that valuation? But certainly showing me everything that I wanted to see as we were heading into this year. 
Valuation is such an interesting one, especially when we saw these kind of moves out of Google and Meta. And I know, Karen, these are one of the reasons why you kind of felt okay with these names, because there was some downside protection as relative to some of these other. Microsoft's getting expensive. Apple is getting expensive. Amazon is always traded um, a bit as an outlier. One of the things I think will be really interesting as we go turn the page on this week into next week, we have this Fed meeting. The Fed, there's an 80% chance, the Fed Watch tool is saying that they're going to get to 5% on the Fed funds. It's starting to creep up for June here a little bit. Think back to late 2021, right, when the Fed Very said- In terms of the chances for another rate hike. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. think back well, These to, results seem to seal that deal. Right. And, and look at the jobless claims that we were talking today. So there's this kind of like it, it, there's a situation here where valuation may come back into focus for one main reason, because of interest rates. Right. And so if you were worried in 2021 that things were getting a little too frothy, valuations were getting a little too much. And just as a note that the Fed said that we are going to start raising interest rates after this long period of very low interest rates, it starts selling off stocks like literally, you know, they were trip People were tripping over each other to get out of these stocks for the end of 2021 into 2022. So I guess my point is at some point, if the narrative becomes the economy is okay, but rates are going to stay higher for longer, um, that might weigh on valuations a little bit. And if you just go back, I think Carter Braxton Worth had this chart earlier in the week. Just go back to the start of January 2022. If you look at these runs into earnings and the sorts of sell-offs that we had afterwards, I'm hard-pressed to think that we don't have a little fear put back in this market, especially when we have a lot of good news from some of the biggest players in the market that are dictating earnings growth and dictating the course of the market. Let's get some more on Amazon, specifically with Gene Munster, Managing Partner of Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to have you with us. Um, how obviously it was a good quarter, pretty much across the board. A lot of beats, including operating margin, various uh, you know geographies, beat, etc. How do you think about this in terms of the valuation, which is the question that was brought up here on the desk? I'm struggling with it, and ultimately, uh, Deepwater does not own. Get a little bit of feedback. Can you hear me? Okay, Melissa. Yep, we got gotcha. you. Okay. Uh, Deepwater does not own shares of Amazon for that valuation perspective, and just to put a finer point on it is that it's trading at, call it 45 times. Uh, that's more or less in line with NVIDIA. And then you have kind of a step down to Apple and uh, Google at, at 18 times. And so uh, I think Dan's comments kind of sum up where I'm at is that uh, this was a good quarter. It was not a great quarter. For it to continue to have a premium multiple, uh, historically it has had that, but for that to continue, uh, I think these numbers need to show more upside relative to what they guided to for the June quarter. How much do you weigh the context of the markets that we're in, Gene, when you're thinking about these plays? Because there's been this perception, and perception you know, in the markets at some point becomes reality, which we've seen, um, that these are safety stocks and people are willing to pay up for them. And so therefore, you know, a premium valuation, a higher valuation, that's okay in this kind of market. It is okay in this kind of market. That's exactly what's happening, Melissa, is uh, if you're a large cap tech company and you have an okay quarter, you're going to be rewarded for it. The rest of tech, I'm keeping a close eye. We're investing in a lot of those other companies. They're not doing as well with what I think are similar types of quarters. And so there is this flight to quality. And the piece that uh, I gravitate back to is this uh, typically in tech investing, there's a pendulum in terms of where the momentum is. Probably with the exception of Apple. Apple has some uh, can have 30% moves, but uh, over the last decade, Apple's been relatively stable. But the rest of tech tends to have these 
uh, kind of swings. And right now, the swing is in favor of large cap. So as we think about deploying, we're thinking more, this is an indication, probably to start to do more work on some of the mid and small cap, because uh, I think un uh, eventually we're going to see by the back half of this year, some of that momentum swing back. It's just kind of how it goes. What do you want to hear on this conference call, Gene, from Amazon? Well, in the AI uh, toy department, they send a couple uh, pieces in their earnings release about how AI is impacting their advertising business. Uh, would like to hear more about beyond that, how they're implementing it within AWS. And then separately on the cost side, uh, how much more is that to go? We'd love to hear. Uh, they've uh, given some high-level commentary on costs, but we just want to see where margins potentially could go in the middle and the back half of the year. All right, Gene, we'll check in with you a little bit later on in the show. Gene Munster of Deepwater. Thank you. Karen, what, do, what are some of the outstanding questions that you have about the quarter? Well, I wonder about, I really, I guess on the call, I wonder what they're going to say about rationalizing the business at all, right? This is, you know, obviously more pixie dust for big tech. Anytime they announce layoffs, it's a really tangible thing that you can put into a model, which is a lot easier than some of the other things. So I'd like to hear that. Amazon, I think, is more than any other company really... They don't care what happens this quarter, and I don't think they care what happens to the stock, and I probably wouldn't say the same of Microsoft, let's say. Yeah, I hear the concerns about growth, and rightfully so. I, I think I'm most comfortable with this company kind of, as Karen said, right-sizing the business layoffs because they were so aggressive with CapEx spin and SG&A spin going through through the, la the better half of uh, 20. 21 and into the beginning of 2022. So for me, that is more of them reaching equilibrium than them going out and laying off from a point of weakness. Mm. All right. Um, let's get to the other earnings alert that we're watching after hours. Shares of Intel on the move after reporting a beat on the top and the bottom lines. It had been in positive territory initially after the release, now uh, trading lower. Christina Parsonevelis got the details. Christina. Yeah, the bar was set really low with Intel already predicting last quarter revenue would fall 40% in Q1. Today, they posted a 36% drop in revenue. So that's a beat because of low expectations with Pat Gelsinger saying on the call just now, we still have more work to do. Words we've heard before in the past, but the company posted net loss of $2.8 which was the biggest quarterly loss in its history. CEO Pat Gelsinger adding to the PC bottom narrative by saying, quote, just moments ago, we are seeing increasing stability in the PC market with inventory corrections largely proceeding as we had expected. However, server and networking markets have yet to reach their bottoms as cloud and enterprise remain weak. And so that's why Intel has pretty a bleak outlook for Q2 margins as well as earnings per share. Both fell short of estimates, which is why Melissa said that's probably why you saw the reversal in the stock. First it was up and then it was down once investors and analysts realized this. Pat Gelsinger, though, is entering his third year as CEO and has previously said this is all part of his turnaround plan and we expect him to weigh in on this huge quarterly loss tomorrow on closing bell overtime at 4 p.m. But you can see, like you mentioned, the stock is about half a percent lower right now as the earnings call is underway. Yep. Christina, thank you. Christina Parsonevelis. Pat Gelsinger has also said that he believes that they were at the bottom uh, Q3 of last year. Uh, so there's an issue here, um, Jeff, and I'm wondering what your, your take is on Intel here. Well, nothing, I guess, incremental for me, really. I mean, they're, they're still bleeding share to AMD, and I just don't think they've given us a really compelling reason to own the stock. I mean, you got the read on data centers. Yes, it was a beat, but it's still down nearly 40% year over year. Uh, and this is a company that's spending. So you look out to that EPS guide in Q2, that's weak. I think the market's moving on that. Uh, and I've said this before, but manufacturing was their edge 
and that has completely disappeared. So now you have a stock that's down, what, 60% from its high, and the PE is much higher. I think it's at a 20-year high. It's back below the 200-day. So um, after this earnings report, looking at the chart, all of these things sort of wrapped into one, it's just a stock that's still not interesting to me. You know, if you think I'm a value girl, but yeah. would I rather own Intel at a lower valuation or AMD at a, a higher, higher one? Valuation. AMD at a higher one. We'll see on Tuesday they're going to report, but um, I don't know. I just feel like uh, this is just, I don't know, pushing a giant ball uphill and who knows what's going to happen when it gets to the top. We'll just roll back on them. Yeah, it's not an easy job. I mean, no. I'm, I'm sort of, you know, poking at Pat Gelsinger in terms of him having said that, you know, this is the bottom for the business, we're going to rebuild, et cetera, et cetera. It's a tough slog because this is the Titanic of chip makers. But at the same time, investors want to hear something that they can believe. Right. And I think you're, what you just said is what a lot of portfolio managers all over you know, the world are making that same assessment right here, especially as like AMD overtook Intel in market cap terms. It was kind of like a, a really- It was amazing. It, it was a, just a really interesting sea change. And so to your point, if you're looking at the out year 2024 and you're looking at you know 20% expected EPS and sales growth and the stock's trading basically 20 times that or so, you'd probably rather go with AMD, where Lisa Sue has been an amazing steward of that business and overseeing this market share. I'll just say this real quickly on the SMH. It has doubled the performance of the, uh, the NASDAQ off of the lows. It just broke that uptrend off the October lows here. So I think a lot of it is kind of on the weight of NVIDIA and Taiwan Semi right now. And I'm not sure you have to be in semis right now or adding to these positions. Quickly, just offering a counterpoint. Jeff mentioned that this company isn't really that interesting. My question is, who's the incremental seller? Who's interested in selling at this point, uh, given all the news that we already know? So does that mean that you would take a flyer on this? Uh, if I right-size the flyer, sure. I mean, <laughs> I'd, I'd rather spend a little money buying it than I would short it at this okay. point. Coming up, we have even more earnings action after the break. Uh, shares of Snap and Pinterest, they're dropping. Uh, Snap's down 20%. The latest out of the quarters next, plus Lilly getting some love. Investors piling in as the company eyes fast-track approval for its weight loss drug. We're leaning into that trade when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on two social media movers, both dropping in the after-hour session. Snap EPS coming in above estimates, but revenue is missing and declining year-on-year. The stock erasing all of its gains for the year. It is now down 20%. And Pinterest beating on the top of the bottom lines, but shares are also dropping on weaker-than-expected revenue guidance and growing operating expenses. Julia Borson joins us with more out of the reports. Julia. 
Well, Melissa, both Pinterest and Snap are suffering because of concerns about their future. For Snap, not only did its revenue decline by 7%, its first year-over-year decline ever, but its internal forecast for second-quarter revenue decline of 6% fell short of the analyst consensus. The company also warning that it expects a negative $75 million in EBITDA in the second quarter. Snap CEO Evan Spiegel noting that the, quote, macro environment continues to be a headwind. He goes on to say that they are using this opportunity to make significant improvements to their advertising platform, including transitioning to a new ad format. Now, Snap's earning call is said is set to start shortly at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Meanwhile, Pinterest call is underway. Those shares fell on concerns about second quarter revenue guidance missing estimates, while the company also warned that its operating expenses will grow in the mid-teens percentages. You see shares now down nearly 14%. Now, the company also announcing that it is opening up to third-party ad demand for the first time, and their first partner is Amazon, partnering with Amazon to bring those ads onto the Pinterest platform so when users click on an ad, it can bring them back to Amazon to make a purchase. Now, we're going to be talking about all this and more with Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy. He's coming up later in this hour. Melissa? Julia, thanks. We'll see you uh, soon with Bill Reddy. Julia Borston, we were just talking about that during the break. How does, how does Pinterest monetize? Is this one way? It seems like this benefits Amazon a lot. Right. And when you look at the growth that they're having and you look at the scale, and I think that the takeaway here is really scale. So look at what we just see this week from Google, from Meta, and from Amazon. Like, literally, it sounds like, oh, digital advertising is back. No, because they have the scale, they have the eyeballs, that sort of thing. And so I guess when you see a platform like Snap, for instance, that has 4.7 million in revenue expected annual this year. They just don't have the, you know, again, the scale. I'll just say this about Snap. And I, I, sorry about Pinterest. I don't, I don't know anything about Pinterest, so I, I can't really say much. Yeah. I don't know how they monetize and I don't use it and I don't know many people you use it. You don't have it. a page. Yeah. yeah. But I know, I know Snap and I know that all the kids today, and I got lots of them. Well, I got two of them and I see them all around. <laughs> they are still addicted to this app. And I really yeah. feel like the app, Evan Spiegel toiling in a way, getting this team done, getting rid of some of these other things, really figuring. I think if you buy Snap at $8 tomorrow, I think you're going to have a really good shot if you wanted for a trade to sell it at $10 in the next month or two. And that has actually worked over the last two quarters or so. I feel like for whatever reason, people get geeked up about it. They want to buy it in the print. It goes down 20%. You buy it on that. And then a month or so later, you're selling it up 20%. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that works out. Dan's been range trading this thing beautifully, yes. that, that 8 to $12 range that it's really been in since November of last year, I will say. And on the other side, looking at the ARPU, I think Snap has the largest ARPU between Meta, Pinterest. But that brings me to Pinterest. I think that Pinterest actually has a lot of upside if they're able to kind of drive up that ARPU uh, dollar figure, particularly domestically versus internationally. So I, I do see a lot of upside, particularly, so we've mentioned the Amazon partnership, but also this ramp partnership. If we're expecting ad spin, to start to shrink. I think that, you know, corporates are going to be a lot more focused on the efficiency of the ad spin that they undertake. And I think that actually might be an interesting lever for them. Yeah. And as a Pinterest user, Karen, can you see that happening? No, I just, I, for both Pinterest and Snap, I just think, why wouldn't you be in Meta, right? At a much better valuation and scale. I would almost say Meta should buy one of them. Meta can't buy anything. I think no one's allowed to buy anything anymore, but uh, I'd rather be in Meta. All right, there's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Eli Lilly stock doing anything but slimming down. Shares jumping as it eyes fast-track approval for its weight loss drug. A focus on the pharma trade next. 
Plus, Meta doing better. The social stock climbing to a 15-month high as investors reel over earnings. So is it time to rethink this name? The traders are digging into the multiple ahead. Fast Money will be right back. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Eli Lilly is sizing up to an all-time high today. Despite an earnings miss, the stock surging 3.7% after the company raised its full-year guidance. Lilly also reporting positive data on its weight loss drug, Munjaro, saying trial patients lost up to 34 pounds on average. That's 15.7% of their body weight. They've also got some uh, you know, potentially positive news coming out of their Alzheimer's drug uh, phase uh, trial phase later on this year, Karen. So... Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on this? Don't own it. I had sold it. I mean, I had a huge run up Mm -hmm. on, um, on not Wigobi, Manjaro, um, as did Nova Nordisk. Um, But I just felt like it was just way too much. I wasn't optimistic on Alzheimer's drug. And so uh, I'm out, out of that one. Yeah. Jeff, where are you? Are you in, in Lily? Yeah, I think there's there's big potential here, too. And, and we talked about this last week as well. They're talking about $25 billion in potential sales for Manjaro. I think in order for them to get there, and this is really important, they're going to need to see expanded insurance coverage to increase access and to actually get demand up to that level. Like if you look at employers who have opted to cover obesity medications, it's only at about 22% right now. So you need to see all of that right size. But assuming that happens, there is a really big opportunity here. And like all of these drugs appear to work, whether you're talking about Ozempic or Wigovi, but it's my understanding that the results from Manjaro are a little bit better. So maybe that gives them a marginal advantage also. And we talked about Lilly relative to an NVO, for example, last week. And, and Lilly's chart looks a little bit better to me as well, kind of just breaking out to those new highs versus NVO that's run a little bit already. So um, I think there's room to go here. Does the all-time high bother you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, listen, I don't love buying a breakout like this, okay, because it's gone from, um, what, $315 just about a month and a half ago to where it is right now at 390 And if you just look at that chart that Jeff's talking about from late 2020, it has held that uptrend like a boss, but it's given you lots of opportunities to buy it back at that uptrend. And if this drug really is going to have all of those characteristics that you just mentioned, and you're going to have higher than 22% of yeah. in, you know, employers you know, that's going to be a theme that you're going to play for years. So buying it here up 27% in six weeks is probably not the best way to enter a position in this. At the same time, there are some of the other drug makers that are not doing very well. Merck came out with results. Um, they're okay. Uh, Pfizer is not doing well stock-wise. And so is there sort of like a trade where you think, oh, I don't want to be in these drug makers. They've got major drugs coming off patent protection in in a couple years or so. Why not go to these other drug companies that have these blockbusters with huge potential that we're just scratching the surface of? 
I mean, you can make the argument for Merck. I, I think Jeff mentioned that last week as well, based on valuation. You, you compare this to, uh, you know, some of the others that are trading in high 30s or low 40s versus a Merck that's trading at a 17 or 18, particularly if you have a, a bit more longer timeline. I do think that you're likely going to have to ride the momentum if you if you kind of want to uh, play for an incremental 5 or, or 6% in the short term. I think you probably can buy these here. But with that said, I think that's more of a trading position. As you're trying to right-size your portfolio, you're probably going to look at something with a cheaper valuation. Coming up, we're diving into today's market rally and a couple of stocks that sat on the head, head on the sidelines. I was going to say headlines, sidelines. What their moves say about the real strength of the market and has Wall Street warmed up on Meta? Earnings crushing estimates. So is it time to rethink the valuation of the social stock? We'll explain when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A sea of green on Wall Street today as major averages all posted strong rallies. The Dow and S&P both putting up their best day since January. The Nasdaq seeing even bigger gains on a percentage basis, rising 2.4 percent. The tech-heavy index buoyed by Meta, which rose nearly 14 percent today after its earnings report last night. We'll dive into that just in just a moment. First, it wasn't news, good news across the board. United Rentals dropping 4.6% after the building equipment maker fell short of profit estimates in its latest quarter. It was the company's second earnings miss in a row. Karen, you poured through the earnings call. So what did you make of this whole thing? Yeah, so this is normally a, a, a management team that likes to under-promise, over-deliver. And they didn't really miss. They were off a few cents, and uh, some of the other metrics were actually fine. But it was the call that was really disappointing. They had done an acquisition as they've been serial acquirers. They are the largest in the space though, but it's still very fragmented space. And they talked about integrating this acquisition and shareholders like me and friends who I cried with later after the call, we thought that they would move the margins of Ahern, the acquisition, much closer, not all the way, but much closer to where URI's uh, margins are. They didn't, they did not send that message on the call. They acted like that also wasn't a surprise. I think shareholders were somewhat surprised by that. So they do have an analyst day coming up in, I don't know, maybe four or six weeks, I forget. Uh, they got another chance to, to I, I don't want to say spin it a different way, because these guys really don't spin. They really try to tell you like it is. But I, you know, I still think that the fundamentals of the business are great. They've got big long-term projects. Uh, they've got fantastic cash flow. The balance sheet has never been better. There's a lot to like here. Uh, people are concerned about uh, commercial real estate, and that's not really uh, it's not really a big part of their business. Yeah. So I like it. All right, let's uh, dig into Meta more. I mean, a mega day for Meta today. Shares popping 14% after the company posted a surprise rise in revenues for its latest quarter. The stock now has nearly doubled since the start of the year, posted its highest close since February of 2022. Is the market re-rating this company? Does it deserve it? Jeff Mills, how do you think about this? Yesterday, they also talked about how AI is increasing engagement, which I thought was really interesting because they had actual numbers increasing engagement on Instagram by 24%. They talked about it in a way where you can say, you know what, they're also monetizing this, the latest toy on Wall Street. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're doing what investors want to see. They're cost-cutting with monetization. You know, I'll be paying attention to reels here as we go forward just to make sure that the monetization is is flowing through there as they're trying to pull some share away from the likes of TikTok. But it, it's sort of interesting. We were talking about a re-rating of the stock earlier. It's like, 
what's old is new again. I, I went back and looked over the last five years. The stock traded around 21 times, trading about 19 times now. So, you know, even though the multiple has moved quite a bit, I don't necessarily want to rely on additional multiple expansion from here. Um, but I don't know that the valuation is ridiculous given some of the things that you said. I mean, they're doing the right things. I think the growth is there. So in asking the question, has the stock re-rated, can it hold this current multiple and kind of ride the growth here going forward? I think the answer probably is yes. You've got further data points coming from Amazon tonight about advertising still being there, advertising growth still being there. So do you feel better about this move in Meta? I do. And I remember a conversation I had with, Kev, uh, with Karen, um, uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And she's been right with this Meta trade. Uh, I think, as Jeff said, monetization along with cost cutting is really what you want to see. And the whole real situation and concern that I had around the stock was that they were investing so much into this metaverse, which to me, which is which to me was an implicit admission that they were chasing growth or running out of growth engines. Reels has proven to, to be just that, 30% and 40% respective uh, monetization over um, Instagram and Facebook. So a lot of those costs uh, have been kind of assuaged and pulled back, and my concerns have, 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 much, uh, have calmed down quite a bit since that point. I don't really think of it so much as a re-rating. I think of it as getting back to a realistic rating after they were at a 30% discount to the market multiple despite being extraordinary business. So to me, to be a slightly over the market multiple when they're this business and so many things that were negatives are no longer there. They were the poster child for bad behavior, the spend on the metaverse, advertising was slowing down, all of those things. Can I ask Those you, uh, you know, you've been the your, bear on the desk. It's your show. When it comes to you. Yeah, yes, I want, yeah. actually. Or I don't get asked back if I don't answer. <laughs> That's right. Cut his mic. Yeah. No, we don't do that. <laughs> um, you've been bearish on the NASDAQ. We've gotten a lot of data points from big cap technology yeah. that are good. Yeah. You say, you know what? Everything's really, all right. I don't. Well, first things first. It, this week, if you were bearish, as I have been here on, on stocks, um, this week and this set of results and the reaction to the results, more mm -hmm. importantly, should cause you to rethink, let's say, some of your thought process a little bit. But what changes my mind about that is I think it's about as good as it gets. And if you think about where the NASDAQ is, we're barely above its February 2nd high here. And so with all of this heavy lifting being done by a small group of stocks, I'm just not certain if that recession does materialize, if then once again we see a deceleration in some of these really important metrics that we spent a lot of time this week after all these earnings calls talking about, then stocks need to be the term that we just used, re-rated lower in a higher interest rate environment. And so I think it, it's easy to feel good about the market, about your holdings when you have a bunch of results like this. And it seems to be that investors were offsides in many of these names coming into it. But I'll take you back to a few other names. You just mentioned URI. What UPS had to say this week wasn't particularly great. There was a handful of other names, Cleveland Cliffs. There was Whirlpool. Tomorrow, we're going to have Exxon and Chevron. Those two stocks have been huge contributors to S&P earnings. They were doing a lot of the heavy lifting last year. Maybe that underscores the point that big cap tech is where you go for safety. But I don't think you want to buy. I don't think you want to buy them and here. This is relative safety. It's fine. I mean, like, listen, have at it, people. But go buy them. Have a ball. <laughs> I'm just telling you. But like, if we just want to look at the course of what the market has given us over the last, call it, 24 months or so, there's some very clear signs here. And the one thing that I think very soon, especially if we start to see unemployment tick up and some of this consumer spending come down, continue to come down with rates like this and the Fed 
if they just say higher for longer, I think stocks are trading too expensively right here. But, you know, Meta, it's a, it's a specific story. Netflix was a specific story. Amazon has much more macro exposure, both consumer and both enterprise here. So those stories can change on the dime. And that was the story of 2022. Coming up, it's been a very busy week of earnings and lots of big names saw big moves higher. We'll hit the options pits to find out which of those names could have more upside from here. The big bullish reveal straight ahead. But first, Pinterest earnings are out. The stock is down 12 percent. We'll be joined next by CEO Bill Reddy for more on the quarter and what's next for the company. Stick around. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. I want to check on shares of Amazon. They've uh, pulled back from their aftermarket session highs. Uh, the stock is now up by about uh, 1%. Uh, let's check in with Gene Munster of Deepwater Asset Management. He's been listening into the conference call. Gene, what's the very latest here? Hi, Melissa. The latest is that they are seeing a deceleration in AWS growth in the f- uh, month of April. This, of course, is one of the key metrics. If you kind of back into the numbers, it suggests that the quarter's tracking AWS up 11% year over year. The street was plus 13% for June. And uh, last quarter, the the just reported March quarter, they did 16%. So uh, that was a little bit of a surprise to continue to hear about that deceleration in AWS. It was 40% uh, six quarters ago. And separately, in their prepared remarks, they talked about a shift down for consumers into lower price items. So they're starting to feel that. Of course, they're optimistic about the big picture, but that Amazon data point really jumped out at me. It's in, they also made a comment that there is no sort of change in balance uh, for, for cloud in, amongst the comp- competitive landscape. So how do you sort of fit that into the deceleration that they're forecasting in, in April when you're thinking about some of the other cloud players like a Microsoft um, and, and an Alph- Alphabet, which have already reported? Well, we are splitting hairs in terms of some of these numbers, and that's what mm-hmm. investors do to try to get a sense of the trajectory. And I suspect that AWS is probably losing fractional share here. Uh, and I think that there probably will be a deceleration from some of the other cloud companies, too. But again, the growth of AWS uh, was uh, 16%. It was well below what some of the other cloud players were in the March quarter. And so I think that there is uh, uh, some uh, share shift that's going on. AWS is so big, though, that um, you know those numbers can come down in their business. They can kind of still hold to a belief that generally nothing has changed. But I think something has changed. All right, Gene, thanks for the update. Gene Munster. Thank uh, you. Again, Amazon shares now up by just a percent in the after-hour session. Let's move on to Pinterest here. Shares sinking despite a top and a bottom line beat. The social media company sees growth operating expenses, growing operating expenses in a week of revenue in the second quarter. Julia Borson is joined now by Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy, fresh off the earnings call. Julia, take it away. Thanks so much, Melissa. And Bill, thanks so much for joining us on the heels of reporting these first quarter earnings. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Bill, let's talk about what's going on that's really weighing on the stock right now. Your first quarter results beat expectations across the board, but revenue guidance disappointing in the second quarter. There's also concern about growing operating expenses. Why are the numbers disappointing in Q2? Well, first of all, you know, I'm really proud of our team and the way they've continued to execute. As you noted, uh, we delivered a really strong quarter coming in ahead of our guide on top line, bottom line, and user growth. We've clearly returned to user growth. Gen Z being our fastest growing demographic, uh, increasing shoppability on the platform. So each of our strategic imperatives, we're delivering beyond uh, our own expectations on those things and making really great progress. And our revenue growth continues to grow faster than the ad industry overall. So those are all things that we feel really good about. Um, uh, At the same time, it 
as you see from others as well, uh, you're still seeing some other large platforms having year-on-year declines. Uh, and you're also seeing that there's you know, wide variability in what others are projecting. And so uh, as we look forward, you know, we're calling that we think we can continue to continue to grow, continue to do well. And when we think about the medium and long term, the fact that we're delivering great value for advertisers, our ad impressions are up 30% while engagement's still growing north of double digits. And as advertisers are implementing new measurement solutions, privacy-safe measurement solutions, they're consistently finding that Pinterest performs better for them than what they expected. These are all things that we think bode really well mm-hmm. for our medium to long term, even though visibility in the near term is still limited for us and the industry overall. Now, Bill, in terms of those growing expenses, so many of the tech and social platforms have been cutting costs. What's behind this mid-teens growth in operating expenses in Q2? Well, you know, we are very much on track to the margin expansion for the year that we've talked about before. So uh, from my first quarter, uh, when I joined uh, Q3 of last year, uh, we've talked about having meaningful margin expansion on the platform for this year. And we feel like we're on track with that. You know, we had significant progress in controlling expenses uh, starting Q3 and Q4 of last year. We feel good about the progress on that. We announced a restructuring uh, this quarter. And so our progress on returning to meaningful margin expansion in line with what we've stated previously. Uh, we reaffirmed that on the call uh, and we feel like we have great progress on that return to meaningful margin expansion while also growing the business again on revenue, users, engagement, uh, and the overall shoppability of our platform. Uh, and that shoppability of our platform bolstered by our own efforts where we're seeing 35% plus mm-hmm. growth in engagement on shoppable mm-hmm. pins as we bring that into the core of our experience and great new partnership Uh, with Amazon, where we're going to be partnering with them on uh, Amazon ads to bring more brands, more products onto our platform. We know more than half the users on Pinterest are here to shop. As we bring more of that actionability, we see it resonating already, and we think there's a lot more of that to come. Yeah, I want to hear a little bit about this partnership with Amazon. How much of this is an exclusive partnership versus opening up the platform in general? And how do you think this could impact your revenue down the line? Yeah. So I've commented on this in prior quarters that we think there's a significant opportunity to bring more third-party demand onto the platform. Pinterest overall is a a young ad stack uh, and is is quite under-monetized relative to the very high amount of commercial intent that users have on the platform. So we see the opportunity to bring on third-party demand as one that can really drive more comprehensiveness for users more shoppable products for users uh, that can make it so that we not only grow revenue and ad ad impressions, but do that in a way that is enhancing to engagement. We've already been proving that out. And we think given Amazon ads has a great breadth of brands, a great breadth of products, and importantly, a really great consumer buying experience, we think that will only further bolster the shoppability of our platform, which is a huge opportunity for us It's a multi-quarter implementation, so I commented that we expect that to really start to show uh, as we go into next year. But we think that is a broad opportunity for us. Amazon, we think, will be a great first partner, but we know we can uh, can work with with multiple others as well. Uh, And so that broader partnership uh, opportunity with the industry, we're quite excited about because we have a lot more commercial intent on Mm -hmm. our platform than what the revenue would indicate. And that's especially true as you look at how fast we're growing internationally that is significantly under monetized. So these are all places where we could not feel better about the medium to long term of the business. And even in the short term, again, we grew faster than the ad industry overall. uh, And we see that we continue to win with advertisers as they implement better measurement solutions. They see better performance out of Pinterest when they Mm -hmm. implement those measurement solutions. So all that, we feel great about our progress. 
Well, Bill, we're going to have to leave it there, but we look forward to hearing more about this transition to making Pinterest fully shoppable. Thanks so much for joining us on the heels of that earnings report. Thanks very much. Melissa? Julia, thanks. We want to get back to Amazon because what we're seeing is a dramatic reversal in the after-hour session. Initially on the earnings release, the stock was up by about 9%. Um, while Julia was talking to Bill Reddy, the CEO of Pinterest, the stock was down a percent. It's sort of leveling off here. We were talking to Gene Munster of uh, Deepwater Asset Management. He was talking uh, about how on the conference call he heard that the company was saying and talking about um, a slowdown in AWS in the month of April, which is not good news, too. Um, there's some thought that maybe they're talking about CapEx as well. We've heard that from Amazon before. We're on the conference call. The stock is up. Conference call comes. They talk about CapEx. Investors are spooked. But what do you make here? I mean, it's it just to think about the market share. The, I mean, the market cap that's moving around here in the after a session is uh, I'm sorry. It's remarkable. Good. It's Go ahead. No, it's more important yeah. than just Amazon. Okay, that, and, and that's what yeah. we're, I think we're saying. So, so Amazon's happening on a Thursday after we've had $5 trillion of mega cap tech stocks report earnings and had really big results and outside sort of returns. And I think investors want to buy this. People want to be positive. They were really sick of that bear market that we had all of last year. And so when you get this sort of result relative to expectations with really poor sentiment, again, but what are they telling us right now? They're saying that they're seeing a deceleration in some of these really important trends in the current period. And that's why I want to extrapolate this out. We just mentioned UPS before. How can you not look at what UPS did and the investor reaction to that report and not extrapolate it to a company like Amazon, okay? And then there's got, got to be a lot of other companies, too. And so we were just talking about this. They've, they're going to cut 27,000 workers, but they're going to increase spending on other things, on servers, on advanced chips, and all this sort of stuff. So to me, I think this is really important. I think we might have seen as good as it gets for mega cap tech here. And also, I'll just go back to the point. You asked me if I was worried because I have a, a short in the QQQ and a short in the, in the SPY. I'm not worried. We haven't broken out yet. And if this is as good as it gets, as we get into Fed week and we get into, you know, Interest rates, that's what's going to be next week. That's the thing that makes me. So let me, can I ask a small question, Dan? So Apple, which doesn't have a lot of overlap in in many of these, except for its big cap techness of it, the fangness of it, does this read negatively for Apple as well? China worries. China worries for me for Apple. And we haven't really talked about China all week. All right. Coming up, options traders are betting this name has more room to run. We'll reveal the trade and how to play it next. Be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lots of stocks had big reactions to earnings this week, but there's one name that options traders think still has more room to run. Mike Coe's got that. Mike. Yep, we saw bullish flows going into Meta's earnings, and we we're seeing bullish flows coming out. It was the third busiest single stock today, traded more than three times its average daily options volume and calls outpaced puts in the busiest contract that aren't expiring tomorrow. Were the 250 calls expiring at the end of next week? We saw just shy of 24,000 of those trading for $1.82 a contract. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the pop we've seen post earnings could continue through next week. Thank you, Mike. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Jeff. Yeah, I'd still be a seller of CAT here. It's finally broken support. The economy continues to slow, so I continue to avoid this one. Karen? Yeah, with this big run-up, i got to be with Dan. Buy some S&P puts. Fix at 17. Bono in. Yeah, I'm looking at pins. I, I expect some convergence between the domestic and international ARPU. Dan? Yeah, a week from now, Apple reports. I think it's as good as it gets for this period. QQQ, I'm selling. 
Oh. QQQ. Q, Q. Sell it. All right. Got it. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.